Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. to the 2018 State of the Union Dog and Pony Show. I'm Nigel Wellingham, and this is Lord Humphrey Frank. This year's entries are just coming out on stage now. Looks like two small business owners are first. Excellent breeding in these two. Fine teeth. Now they brought an employee with them. It looks like a lovely touch there. Looks like excellent training. Lord Flank, your thoughts? Don't look loud, but there's a puppy in the mix. Young lad looks 12, maybe, and, uh, ah, ah, yes, he put flags on veterans' graves. Patriotism always gets high marks with the judges, though it looks like the Democratic judge is still giving him a four. Ah, and now we have some families of, wait, yes, yes, they are families of immigrant gang murders. I, I can't believe it, what is showing? Fine specimens, brisk, brisket's puffed out. Seamless trot, really. Uh, beautiful examples of the species. And finally, we have a foreign breed. Looks like North Korean. He's got uh, fascinating plumage. Looks to be crutches for crushed legs from passing out uh, from hunger on the train tracks back in North Korea when he was a lad. Tragic story. Seeing a lot of crocodile tears here in the audience. It's uh, This could be a real upset for Trump. Yes, it seems he uh, escaped from North Korea and now helps others to escape. Uh, let's hold for the official score. And he's done it. Song Ho of North Korea is the 2018 Best in Show. A fine showing this year's State of the Union. A true slacking of democratic optics during the event. Uh, the Democrats couldn't even applaud the lowest unemployment for their core supporters. And now this just uh, a, a huge upset. Indeed it is, indeed it is. Join us next year for another exciting exploitation of human misery. So good night from the State of the Union in 2018. And once again, I'm Nigel Wellingham and with me always is Lord Humphrey Flank. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, good night. Ah, yes. Hello, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that little bit of farce from me here. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, everybody. Those of you who might have been slightly confused, I know we are getting some new listeners coming over from Tom Woods, coming over from Dave Smith, coming over from uh, people that are Owen Benjamin fans and fanatics. I know a lot of you guys are listening to the show now, so welcome on board. It's been a little while since I did a little sketch comedy on this here program, so I figured I'd toss that in the mix considering the interesting uh, outcome of the State of the Union. So, guys, this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 58. You can find show notes, including links to some of the news articles that I'm going to discuss on the program over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL58. 
And I do want to remind you guys at the top of the show this time, usually do at the bottom, but remember there are other shows here with a lot of fascinating content. Mark Claire with interviews with the leaders of the libertarian movement every Monday. John Odie Odermatt on Fridays with Felony Fridays. Uh, truly, God, heartbreaking tales of injustice at the hands of the criminal justice system and uh, all the problems we have with that. So check those shows out if you'd be so kind. Now, I'm going to get into the State of the Union in just a moment, but I, I got to take a little time out to, uh, to crow about the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia goddamn Eagles, baby. That's my team. Been rooting for them since birth. As you might imagine, I'm a Philly boy. So, guys, I love the Super Bowl. I don't, I, you know, I, I know the issues with the NFL. I know the issues with taxes being used to fund stadiums. We all are unanimously against that horrible mis, uh, misuse and abuse of taxpayer money to fund these stadiums, which never actually boost any sort of revenues around. There's been studies shown that for all the promises they made, and in my career as a publicist, I've worked with comp- with uh, people that own minor league teams and would negotiate deals with uh, cities for stadiums. And they always tout, oh, it's going to push this big change in the environment. It's going to raise property values. It's going to create jobs and, and make this economy around the stadium. You know, it's like revitalize the neighborhood. Never works. It never happens. Uh, they, all these, all these uh, you know, theoretical studies they, they point to never pan out. They're all bullshit. And what you end up getting is a monstrous stadium that draws in people all the way in creates a lot of traffic, but does not create a lot of revenue for anybody except the owner of the stadium. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, the one way in which you could do it is if you have a, if you're really like, you know, just mow down everything around there and put in all sorts of bars and stuff or design an entire complex, but really putting a stadium smack dab in the middle of a rundown crappy neighborhood just isn't on its own going to do anything. <laughs> Except drive the people out of that neighborhood potentially, and uh, and and into somewhere else that's probably more expensive and they can't afford. Anywho, let's stay on the positive though. The Eagles won. I'm excited. You can probably hear in my voice that I am still nursing the two day hangover. I uh, yeah, I went to bed real late, real late. Ended up passing out on the couch. Woke up about six thirty in the morning, and uh, did not feel great the next day. I'll tell you that much. I was one of the many Americans who did not make it into work on Monday, but uh, uh, feeling a little better today. So God bless the Eagles. But I think we can all say fuck the jingoism and the uh, the patriotic displays that go on during halftime of the NFL games. I think we can all resent the outright militarism and empire building that those things represent. And uh, I will say that I won money off of it. <laughs> I I won money off of our military's emphasis during halftime shows. And all that. Like when they sang uh, America the Beautiful or whatever it was, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. sang it. That went over, predictably. And I had a feeling it would. I told my buddies during our Degenerate Gamblers podcast, which is part of Alliance of Liberty Pride bonus content that we put out. So we do a weekly gambling podcast. And goddamn, man. If you were listening to my uh, my advice on that pod, you would have made yourself a lot of money this season. We had a competition going between 
Three of us, one of our listeners also was playing along and I think managed to beat Odie. So he gets a free t-shirt out of it. But, uh, you know, we started like 500. I'm going to finish up about 600 up. And uh, also gambling on the side made a good amount of money on the season. Uh, just doing my own own little gambling on a website. So good stuff. But I bet the over on the prop bet which a prop bet is basically just a, a goofy kind of side bet. You're not actually betting on the game. You're betting on things ancillary to the game. And they do these during a lot of sporting events that are huge, like the Super Bowl. But bet on this song to go over because Donald Trump's in office, because of all the kneeling uh, theory, all the, all the kneeling shows and displays of, uh, I guess, outright disregard for our flag and for our anthem that were going on all season. I knew that they were really going to do it up. And part of that is emphasizing the songs that represent America. So thanks, Leslie Odom Jr. for going over and giving me a nice, uh, nicely one buckaroo payout. All right, so let's get into it. So I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to go too long. Uh, I know, especially on the State of the Union and this memos, the State of the Union is about a week old now. So it's been covered. But I want to address a few things in that speech. And then I also want to talk about the... uh, Nunes menu. Look, I I looked up how to say it. Nunes is how it's said. So (laughs) you're not going to hear me mispronounce it horribly like I've done so many times in the past. But let's talk about State of the Union first. So State of the Union, Donald Trump comes out and you would expect him to be crowing quite a bit about the state of the economy, despite the fact that the economy really uh, throughout history has had little to nothing to do with the president. And especially now in a more globalized economy, we have all of these other foreign factors coming into play. For example, recording this today, right after, you know, on, on Friday, we had Donald Trump uh, coming off, you know, the, the Dow was still flying high. Donald Trump is still glowing in the aftermath saying, oh, every day the stock market's broken new, new ground. Thing dropped like a thousand points in a day. And then it dropped another 600. Now it's rallied back. So it's making a comeback as people are buying back in. But there's nothing. Nobody could figure out what precedent did this drop. It came out of nowhere. <laughs> it made, made no real sense. Maybe maybe a lot of people lost money betting on the goddamn shitty Patriots to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so they had to sell some stocks to pay the rent this month. That's, that's my theory. But, or also, you could also say that the world is ending because the, uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Also a good one. However, yeah, you look at all these different factors that are involved with the econ- economy. You cannot say, as Donald Trump would, that the economy is to his credit. And in the meantime, you have people, if you're listening to Tom Woods, they break down the Krugman columns. He and Bob Murphy get on there. And they had a whole thing, how Krugman was saying, oh, well, this has nothing to do with uh, with Donald Trump. Meanwhile, when Obama was in office, he would give him all the credit in the world. It doesn't matter. The Dow goes up, the Dow goes down. The economy goes up, the economy goes down. None of it has jack shit to do with the president. The only way that our national economy, I can see being tied into presidential maneuvers. And still, Donald Trump's been in office a year, and what he's done with the corporate tax just set in, that's brand new. Now, that's had some immediate effects, which are fantastic, in my opinion. You're seeing a lot of the benefits being paid out to employees from large companies. You're seeing money get repatriated back into the into America and, uh, and taxed at a far lower rate. Granted, shouldn't be taxed at all, as we all know, but whatever. It's still good that he's lowering the tax rates. And I see a lot of arguments about spending versus cutting the taxes. And people were criticizing, like uh, I know Jason Stapleton had had, uh, made this comment, and I've I've seen many others make it as well in libertarian circles, saying, well, if we're not cutting spending, then who cares that we're cutting taxes? Well, first off, 
if you're making that argument, you need to take your head out of your ass because cutting taxes is keeping money in the pockets of Americans. Cutting taxes is cutting what we like, what we always refer to as taxation being theft, even though I'm not a, a fan of that phrase because I, I feel it ostracizes people and alienates people before you can even get them in a conversation. But if you believe taxation is theft, as uh, we all do believe, then you have to say cutting taxes is a good thing. And I don't care if the spending hasn't been cut initially. Well, I care. <laughs> I want the spending cut. But I- I'm not considering them a-, a part and parcel. You know, if you want to cut taxes, please, by God damn, all means cut taxes down. That helps everybody. So him cutting taxes, Donald Trump cutting taxes that directly for Americans and cutting the corporate tax rates, that is going to have a direct impact on the economy, as is the deregulation. If you have lower corporate taxes, you have companies that are more willing to spend money, more willing to put to, to hire on. And, and I tie this in with his claims about adding to the manufacturing sector and the job market that you can legitimately attribute to Donald Trump because companies have a, more of an ability to grow here. Uh, now, granted, some of that is also tied into crony capitalism. Some of that is also tied into uh, cronious deals that states have made with these companies to keep them. We're watching the Amazon. Who will get the Amazon headquarters? Uh, the Amazon headquarters are trying to open up here, the fulfillment, fulfillment facility or whatever the hell they're going to do. All these companies or all these, uh, these states and their mayors are bending over their governors. <laughs> rambling uh, their governors talking to Amazon and trying to give them the most sweetheart deal that's just shit, shit for taxpayers because these companies are getting the cronious deals that you'll never see anything like it in your lifetime. But still, you cut the corporate tax, you're going to see an increase in job creation because companies have that money. You're going to see people get money like the $1,000 rebates, not rebates, $1,000 gifts or bonuses or increases in wages that all these companies are giving their employees that's hardcore results of the tax policy. You can't take that away from them. All right. That being said, at the top, I just want to go through a, a couple of different points throughout the speech and address them as we go. So Donald Trump, as I was just mentioning, said since the election, we have created 2.4 million new jobs, including 200,000 new jobs in manufacturing alone. Now, they didn't create them. You know, just like Obama said, you didn't, you didn't uh, work for that. You didn't create that job. You didn't create that phone, you know, being a jackass because uh, he's a socialist. So just like Obama is claiming that you didn't make that. Well, Trump is claiming that they did make these jobs. They didn't. Industry made these jobs. The private sector created these jobs. And, and um, you know, he's probably counting jobs, which uh, the government has generated internally as well, even though he's supposed to be cutting the size of government which I think he did in some sectors. He's probably counting government jobs created as well. So mm, take that with a grain of salt. But either way, it's driven by the industry need. And you can't take credit for job creation. Now you can take credit for, like I said, the tax cuts that enable people to hire on. So really, shouldn't you be interested in cutting the taxes even further to enable even more new jobs you can crow about? If you cut the taxes to a minimum, you could probably even that out because you're going to have more revenue coming in from revenue generated by those companies. Even if you're charging them a lower tax rate, if the revenue of the company's generating is going up, you're still going to make that tax in the long run. So that's why I don't understand why more, more governments don't embrace that policy. And I think it's just basically out of fear and out of overspending. So there's an argument against that. But he's also saying after years of wage stagnation, we are finally seeing raises. Um, yeah, I guess you can kind of attribute that to 
to Donald Trump. Um, the, like I said, the direct tax cut does result in employees getting bonuses in that regard. So you could attribute that to a direct uh, result of Donald Trump's policy. He's also saying unemployment claims have hit a 45-year low, and African-American employment stands at the lowest rate ever recorded, as well as Hispanic-American unemployment hitting the lowest levels in history. Now, I saw that Black American uh, unemployment standing at the lowest. That is factually accurate. I saw a report that Hispanic, that was near accurate. It was like 0.2 off, but for Donald Trump to take credit for that, can't really say it. There's there's a downward trend throughout the last few years as uh, African-Americans and Hispanics just got more jobs in general. So you can't take credit for that if you're Donald Trump. The funny thing, though, was seeing the reaction of Democrats when Trump's saying these things, you know, their base, you got African-Americans, you got Hispanics who overwhelmingly vote to <laughs> to put Democrats in power to keep these these social systems going. You've got Democrats sitting there stone faced. Now, I know you don't want to clap for Donald Trump, but shouldn't you look a little bit happier? Shouldn't you at least clap? I mean, I know I would. You got the Black Caucus members sitting there in dashikis or whatever the the fuck they were wearing, and they're not clapping for this. You know what? Take your partisan hackery aside for a minute and celebrate the fact that these people have jobs. And that's one of these things, like I was talking about the optics in my little sketch earlier. The optics in this were, were terrible. And there was a point where even Nancy Pelosi stood up. She was she was stone-faced during that. But later on, I can't remember exactly what part of the State of the Union it was. But Nancy Pelosi even got up and clapped, applauded. It might have been for one of the people. I can't remember. But looking around at her Democratic colleagues, staring daggers at them. Because she knew this looks bad. Americans notice who's not saying. They notice that when things are going better for America, as you really... As far as economics are concerned, you can't argue things that were going better for most Americans. And if you can't celebrate that, if you hate, if you are so partisan that you will say, nope, I'd rather them stay poor, I'd rather them stay stupid, which I believe Democrats do want, if we're being completely honest. I believe that's exactly what they want. Keep them, so- keep them poor, keep them stupid, keep them completely reliant on the government. Then, you know, you should probably clap if somebody's doing better. So I'm sure this could be the Democrats really showcasing what they truly want. I guess maybe it was a, a Freudian slip on their part because they can't celebrate people being prosperous. All right. Next thing I want to move on to is Donald Trump saying business confidence is at an all time high. Now, you could you could believe that. And uh, most Americans did believe that by a polling. Of course, the Dow crashed uh, this last week. But <laughs> during the time of this speech, the stock market has smashed one record after another, gaining eight trillion in value. That is great news for Americans' 401ks, retirement, pension, and college savings accounts. Again, you can't really take credit for that. Um, But it's not a surprise that he would. Whatever. Moving on. Uh, The tax cuts he put into place, he was calling them the greatest tax cuts and reforms in American history. That's not quite true. Um, However, it was an impressive tax cut. As I mentioned, it could still go a hell of a lot farther. I still think that most people should be paying uh, nothing. But as we know, that is at this point in time, a complete pipe dream. The one good thing is that uh, the Federal Reserve, which is responsible for eating away at our money via the inflationary tax, that Donald Trump is open to revitalizing the audit the Fed. Now, this wasn't mentioned in the State of the Union, but I saw a recent article about this. So if that goes through, if the Fed is in fact audited, if their monetary practices can in fact be reined in, which I 
contend that uh, that's going to be even more difficult to do than many other things Trump's trying to do. I think the wall will happen before banks and the people in the establishment allow the Fed to be audited or reined in. But if Donald Trump can, in fact, audit the Fed and rein in any of their monetary policies to expose them as the robbers and the robber barons that they are, then that would be something huge. So something to keep an eye on. Trump also takes credit for the car companies building and expanding plants in the United States in his speech, uh, something he said we have not seen for decades. That's true, except for the Tesla company, which, of course, got a crony capitalist deal right here in California and uh, then completely shit the bed. (laughs) If you've been following anything along with Tesla news, you know that the Tesla car company had taken some crazy amount of down payments on cars for their new lower cost models. They are months, years, decades behind in the actual production of it. They completely missed the uh, the ball when they're trying to swing for the fences in regards to their infrastructure and production. And now they are hopelessly behind. Uh, they miss goal after goal. And of course, they've got this sweetheart deal. So even with the tax breaks, the massive tax breaks they're enjoying, they still can't meet their quotas. However, There are plants that are reopening here. There are plants that are hiring on here. That, I believe, does have a lot to do with the tax cuts as well as these crony capitalist deals. And as we continue to push that, that should help. Now, on the other hand, Trump also thinks that tariffs are a good thing. And he believes, and he says this in his uh, his speech, that they're going to continue to push trade and try to fight for, for positive trade deals and try to protect Americans. You know, he's already talking about putting tariffs on this, that, and the other thing. Tariffs, as we all know, don't work. They work in driving prices up for Americans. They are protectionists. So they work in, a, in the way that if you want to essentially destroy an industry here via protectionism, that's one way to do it. Because what's going to happen is Americans are going to look elsewhere. They're going to stop buying that product because it's going to get priced out of the marketplace. Or they're just going to say, okay, well, I'll wait or I'll buy secondhand on the black market, or I'll buy something that's been used before. I'm not going to buy a new product in this regard because it's overpriced so much. And that's something to watch with steel, which kind of bleeds in uh, many other industries. That's something to watch with autos. If Trump tries to put a, any sort of tariffs on the auto industry coming in. So that's one that, I mean, that is, if, if Donald Trump is a blind spot when it comes to economics, clearly trade is that blind spot. And the tariff issue just drives me up the goddamn wall. I and mean, I, I don't want to go too long into this. Like I said, I don't want to talk about the State of the Union the rest of the night. But the tariffs thing, but very simply, is one of the most idiotic practices. And the fact that it continues to be pushed through and it's not widely denounced by every single economist in the world baffles my mind. Because we see clear evidence what happens. You're doing these protectionist practices that put an extra cost on an industry when it's when it's pushed through to the marketplace. So you've got Americans. Let's say there's a huge tariff on cars, right? No cars are able to come out from another town. So if you have that tariff, then cars cost exponentially more because there's no competition. The competition's priced out of the marketplace, wherein now the cost savings Americans would have had by buying, let's say, Fiat or some Chinese import or a Datsun, the savings you would have there now is lost opportunity because Americans use the savings there to purchase other things, or they can use them to start a new industry or or, uh, become entrepreneurs. They can save that money and put it away to use on something else. So the opportunity cost is mistaken. And the money that's now going into that industry 
which should be allowed to fail if it is not making itself viable in the marketplace, whether that is from external factors such as international competition or just by virtue of the fact that we don't have enough resources here or enough workers that are willing to work for a wage, which would make it make sense in the marketplace. It should be allowed to fail or it should be allowed to shrink to the size where it once again becomes viable. Let it shrink to the size where the union auto workers abandon it and it's able to start over and have non-unionized labor get in there that's willing to work for an amount of money that makes sense or let those people all fuck off. And then you put in a robotic system that has to be managed by a few people and a skeleton crew and have a small shop and grow from there, but do it in a way which makes sense in the market where you can be competitive. If you can't do that without tariffs being placed on something, you should not exist. And by putting these tariffs in a place, all it does is pass costs along to consumers. And like I said, take away from other industries where that money is far better spent and makes sense in our economic climate or in our working climate. Okay, boom, that's it on tariffs. All right, moving along. So he's talking about talk, uh, the 1.8 million illegal immigrants who were, uh, Trump is in a deal and in negotiations right now to extend that to them. However, he wants a, uh, a border wall and some other concessions from the Democrats. This, by the way, is a brilliant little piece of politicking by Donald Trump. Um, from my libertarian perspective, obviously I'm not very happy about the welfare state. I uh, can't say that I support open borders any longer because of this. And I just, you know, with, as long as the welfare state's in place, we can't just simply can't support illegal immigration coming in as it is. However, if we're talking about people that have already been here for decades, just, just let them stay. And in Donald, in regards to Donald Trump, if he's going to say 1.8 million, I'll let them stay, but I need these concessions. Well, the concessions that they would give up would would help to placate his base, which is not too happy about the immigration issue. Meanwhile, the Democrats, like I'm talking about optics earlier, where they can't clap for, uh, for, for prosperity for most Americans, even among the groups that support the Democrats. If they say, nope, we're going to turn this deal down, if they're going to screw over 1.8 immigrants who they say they're always fighting for that they shut the government down for remember they shut the government down over illegal immigrants so they shut the government down they shut services to american people down citizens they prioritize people who are not even american citizens over their own people <laughs> and then of course nancy pelosi shit all over the tax cuts that that americans were getting the bonuses as as a pittance as if you know on from on high uh, Nancy Pelosi, I spent $1,000 on caviar and underpants. You know, just idiotic. So if the Democrats turn this deal down, they are going to look like the biggest assholes ever. That clearly they just, you know, they, Donald Trump's dangling this carrot, the carrot they say they care most about. And all they have to do is sign off on slowing immigration into the country. If they don't do it, ooh, it's going to be bad. Anyway, he did mention this is three more times that people from the previous administration. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump wants his base to know that he's deporting people at a slower rate than Obama did. But it would have been funny for me to uh, to see him drop that little chestnut in people's laps and see the Democrats' faces then. But that being said, interesting for him to bring it up. And uh, then, of course, moved into talking about the war on drugs. So we've got to stop that. It doesn't seem that he's going to make any concessions to marijuana. Uh, it doesn't look like Jeff Sessions is slowing down in any way. So this is something that's probably going to come to head in the next year. Now, Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions are both on the wrong side of history on this one. I guarantee it. Already some 70% of Americans uh, support legalization. It might even be as high as 80. 
and I think something like 45 to 48% just support legalizing it overall. The one good thing, however, from Donald Trump's speech on this was that he wants to emphasize treatment over harsh punishments for drug users that are uh, that are arrested. He doesn't necessarily want to reduce sentencing, but he wants to put more money and more emphasis into rehab programs, uh, into treatment facilities for people so that they are not going to fall back into the system when they're done. That's a good thing. At least that shows some sort of movement in the right direction. So kudos on that in a very, very small way. Uh, Additionally, Donald Trump got into talking about rebuilding the nuclear arsenal. Now, he already says we need to build a military up, which makes no sense. We've got the largest standing military in the world. We've got the largest military budget in the world by three times over. We are overextended because of stupidity and empire building and uh, trying to stick our noses every single place that there could be a possible falling dictator. And if you're a dictator... Even if you are kissing puppies and petting babies, you're probably going to get overthrown at some point. Saudi Prince, I think, knew that, saw that coming. That's why he's overhauling his country. But when Donald Trump talks about rebuilding a nuclear arsenal, are you fucking crazy? Wait, I, rebuild it? What have, I, what, have we been shooting them off? <laughs> I mean, I know we destroyed some of them in a joint agreement with Russia, but we still have you know, hundreds of them left, if not thousands. And you look at the Russian nuclear arsenal, that it's like a rusted mess. We were in this arms race and then Russia goes tits up or the Soviet Union goes tits up and we find out that they're like rusting hulks. They're crumbling to pieces. They weren't even being upkept. So the United States was building missile upon missile for what? (laughs) It's like taking a a, a shotgun over and then finding out that somebody is working with a water pistol. And again, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're kept up. This is this is America. This is America's nuclear arsenal. There's one thing the military is barely good at. It's watching its nukes. It might be terrible at keeping uh, its bases open that are unneeded. As I said in an early episode, there's they did an audit of all the military bases and all the military uh, owned properties, and there's just an unbelievable amount of wasted space. Unbelievable amount of it. But I got to think you probably aren't losing too many nukes. And how many, how many nukes do you need? (laughs) What do we need? A thousand nuclear missiles. Each nuke can take out a city. How many cities are there in the world that we need to bomb? There's not a thousand for a weapon. You figure you're never going to have to use. It's been used what twice in history. I mean, give me a fucking break. We don't need to rebuild shit, man. Just insanity. Ah, anyway. Then Trump went on to talk about tiny, telling an order, or he signed an order, directing Secretary Mattis to re-examine military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities at Guantanamo Bay. Famously, Obama pledged to close Guantanamo and never did, or Gitmo for being fun, never did close it. And now Trump has pledged to keep it open. Now I'm wondering, has Trump also pledged to continue the removal of habeas corpus? For people to go there? Is he going to continue to black bag people in the night and take them there, whether they're American citizens or not? To hold them there indefinitely without trial for 10 years? To not let them have access to a lawyer? To not let them speak to their families? And then charge them with nothing? Because that's what Guantanamo Bay represents. And let's remind everybody, too, that jack and shit 
has come from detaining these people in Guantanamo Bay, just like jack and shit has come from all the spying apparatus that's been put into place and was just reauthorized under the FISA 702. And, and of course, now we're seeing all of the, uh, the darker side of the spying apparatus is being, uh, being exposed with the newness menu. Menu? Memo. <laughs> All right, that's pretty much it on this. But, you know, it's a lot of there's a lot of happy talk. Uh, you, you know, he trotted out all those family members, especially pointed when he's talking about the MS uh, 13 gang and the dangers of unchecked immigration, especially with these refugee programs and all this other stuff, bringing in the worst of the worst, as he calls it. And the MS 13, that is, I mean, they're uh, some scary dudes. There's MS 13 all around Venice, where I live, or uh, Culver City area, where I live, all around LA. Uh, they're pretty much everywhere in border towns. And he trotted out, you know, he says this, you know, MS-13 is coming in here and all the Democrats tell, and then he trots out, you know, two different parents whose children were murdered by MS-13 members, clear, clear cases, four dudes killed this girl. Oh, horrible. Anyway, other than that, a lot of happy talk. Uh, It was definitely a win for Trump. People were saying this speech was more upbeat, which it was. It was more unifying, which it was compared to some of his earlier speeches where I'd given him low marks on the content and the tone of it. So for this, he does in fact get a, uh, an overall Trump. I'm not going to put the sound effect. I usually use in there <laughs> too lazy, too hungover, still too hungover. And I'll leave it at that. Ha, huh, let's take a little break and I'll come back here with some newness memo talk. Be right back. Hey guys, you might remember that I recently said that this is the libertarian moment. And that we need more people to stand up and run for office. Now, if you're tired of watching Liberty erode and you plan to stand up and run for office, I want you to call on a team that has over 20 years experience, Global Alliance Communications. They specialize in data analytics, identifying and mobilizing voters. They offer live voter outreach, data acquisition, compliance, recorded messages, text messaging with full social media touchpoints and teletown halls. Campaigns of all types and sizes are encouraged to reach out, and you can find out more by visiting their website at www.gacigroup.com or email info at gacigroup.com. All right, come on back now, you here. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 58. I'd get a little sip of water, <laughs> revitalize my voice. Still a little scratchy from yelling and screaming at the Super Bowl. So, guys, let's talk about the newness memo real quick. I am sure you're familiar with it by now, but let me just give you my hot take on it. Some people are playing it down like, oh, we already knew all this. And the Democrats are saying, oh, there's nothing there to worry about. But look, this is a big goddamn deal. This memo, to me clearly shows bias. It clearly shows that the process in the FISA courts is completely corrupted. It also shows me that the FISA courts will approve basically anything. I've seen on multiple sources now that there were some 39,000 different FISA applications, 11 of which were rejected over the years. I mean, that's an unbelievable number, like 99.7% were approved. So it doesn't seem to me like they're vetting things too much. It doesn't seem to me like they have the highest standards for what you would need to get a warrant to spy on an American from this secret court, which we can't see any any of the documents from. 
So this memo highlighting that the Carter Page warrant that was uh, that was given was approved by, I believe, Loretta Lynch and was signed off on by possibly any number of, uh, of directors of the FBI and the uh, Department of Justice. But the takeaways from it are this. Number one, the DNC paid for the Steele dossier. The FBI also paid for the Steele dossier. So Christopher Steele, this British spy, remember, he's a British spy, a foreign agent, was paid not once but twice, once by our government and once by the Democratic National Committee, which was opposition research against Donald Trump during a campaign. So you have a steel the steel dossier, which was given to the FISA court, and was they were never told that it was a document that was commissioned by the DNC. They were never told any of the bias that was inherent in the people that are giving it to them that uh, or who was involved with this at the time in the FBI, that his wife was working for the company, Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele's company, and doing the research on Donald Trump. <laughs> never told that. But or the FBI passes it along. We were never uh, the FISA court was never informed um, of the uh, the Clinton Association in any way, shape, or form to the document that it was opposition research. And let's not forget that this is there. <laughs> we're talking about collusion, and people comment on my Facebook when I shared status is just saying, "Wow, this meant was a big deal." And additionally, I was outside the Super Bowl at halftime talking with some very liberal friends of mine, and uh, of course they bring up this Russia shit. Oh, well, yo, this document, but hey, man, what about what about Russia? What about Trump colluding with Putin in Russia? <laughs> like, we still see nothing. We still see no evidence whatsoever of that. And it looks to me, if, if anybody was colluding with Russia, it was Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton's people, the DNC, pay a foreign agent to use his Russian connections, other foreign entities... You are, in fact, colluding with a foreign government or foreign persons. So you are guilty of this. I'm still not seeing Donald Trump being guilty of it. So the uh, the, the culmination of all this seems to be that it's exposing a, a few things. Number one, you're hearing some people speak up against the abuse of the surveillance capabilities of the United States. That's great. But it's also showing very selectively how some of these GOP members like to show their outrage. Now, Rand Paul has been very consistent in speaking up against FISA courts and against secret surveillance. He has filibustered this. He has worked uh, and, and tried his goddamnedest to get all of these removed. He campaigned against the Patriot Act. Of course, that was very short-lived because Ted Cruz introduced the USA Freedom Act, which put a lot of that shit right back in. But you have very few people that are actually willing to stand up and say, this is wrong and we need to end it. Now you've got all these people saying, oh my God, the abuse. Can you believe that this shit is going on? Well, yeah. Yeah, I can believe it. Because it was going on uh, surveilling all Americans illegally and against their basic rights. It's guaranteed in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We saw it exposed during, under Obama in one of the biggest scandals of any president's tenure, which nobody seems to want to remember. And now you're seeing it applied to someone who was a private citizen at the time. And Carter Page was a private citizen at the time. 
You're seeing it uh, used to surveil Donald Trump, which uh, 100% it was. And we're seeing the selective outrage where these people should have stood up and said, oh, you can't spy on the American people. You can't uh, go with these secret courts to do it. If there's going to be a warrant, it should be... It should be something where you could you could research it, you could fight it, you could I mean, just like anything else. There needs to be some sort of record of it. Even if that's, you know, and I I can understand their argument that, oh, we need to keep this this secret because what if it's a foreign agent and we don't want them knowing they're being surveilled upon? Well, fine. Then how about this? You can lock it up for uh, for a certain amount of time. Even so, you're seeing the selective outrage on this surveillance. You're not seeing any outrage about the surveillance from the Democrats, by the way. I'm still not seeing any of them stand up and say, hey, you're right. Holy shit, this is going on. We need to stop this because, you know, people, Americans are getting spied on here. No, no, of course not. They're they're saying that everything was done completely correctly. I'm not seeing anybody say that uh, that this was wrong, by the way. I'm not seeing anybody deny it and say that the GOP is lying or that Nunes is lying about this in any way, which is very telling. Because you'd think if Nunes just made up a memo, if he just made up facts, that you couldn't corroborate in any way, that the Democrats would be screaming at the top of the lungs, that they would be going to all of their media sources and getting them to cover it. Because that was one of the things we saw too in this. It's clearly exposed that journalism is dead. I mean, when you have supposedly neutral media sources and, and ones that are hilariously depicted in movies that are Oscar nominated, like the movie about the Washington Post, The Post, which is all about licking its palm and jerking itself off about how amazing journalists are at a formerly great paper, which is now just a complete rag for Democrats. And of course, it's always been the CIA's outlet rag anyway. But when you have Washington Post, when you have the CNNs of the world, when you've got MSNBC, when you've got all these different outlets calling openly for this memo to not be released because they're worried about protecting the sanctity of the FBI or the sanctity of FISA? Are you shitting me? This is something every American should want to see. And the media especially should be calling to see it. The media is supposed to be protecting transparency, protecting the right to know what your government's doing. All of these pathetic democratic shills are calling for the memo to not be released and how it's treasonous to release this memo. How they can't believe it because they're, you know, because they're she-god. Hillary Clinton might get in trouble for for uh, being involved in this or that it takes away from her legacy somehow. But to say that they're, they're protecting American interests and that's wrong, give me a break. It's just pathetic. And what I do like is the GOP. I like how Nunes has handled this. He's on and said, hey, you have a you have a Democratic memo you want to put forward? Fine, we'll, we'll, I'll vote to, to put that out. And they did. They passed it through the, uh, the Intelligence uh, Committee. They voted to release the memo, which again clearly shows that they're not afraid of anything the Democrats are putting out. This memo is fact. The facts are the facts in this case. Fine, put your memo out. Now, I've also read today that there was a... Uh, a theory, which I think is a pretty sound theory, that the Democrats are, again, trying to play little parlor games. And the media will eat it up, as we know, by putting in specific wording and specific facts in the document that would actually violate some sort of confidentiality or classified information within the document. And by doing so, they're going to force President Trump or the uh, committee 
to make changes to the document. Now, they will not reveal what exactly those changes were, but the Democrats will say, well, you see, they redacted the truth. They had to change the memo, and that proves that they're lying. All the things that were blacked out in the memo that you can't see, that's all the things that prove that we're right and they're wrong in their narrative. It's a sneaky little play. And again, the media will eat it up and they will without a doubt support that narrative because they're completely biased. Now, that being said, I'm still all for releasing it. And Nunes has also said today that he would be for releasing all of the background documents in regards to Carter Page. And God damn it, I would love to see them. Because if he's that confident, now that may never happen. This also might be gamesmanship on his part, knowing that they'll never allow those documents to be released. But if somehow we could get them out, they can redact all the secret stuff. Because so far, nothing in that memo, by the way, the GOP memo violated anything. The Democrats before this, remember running up, again, this, these, I gotta stop saying it again this episode. The media is covering this as if it's going to reveal some some crazy secrets and completely expose secret sources within the FBI. Nothing in it was classified. Nothing in the memo. And the Democrats come out before it saying, "Oh, we can't allow it. It's going to let's violate it. They're, they're trying to they're trying to release all of our secret sources. It just can't be allowed. The intelligence community has to be protected." No bullshit. Nothing in that memo was classified. Nothing in that memo revealed anything. So let's see. Let's see what happens because if they do release all the documents, which they should, if they want to end this argument back and forth partisanship, then they should release the documents. And if the Democrats have nothing to fear, they should also be for that. So the most telling thing will be to see how the Democrats take that. And if they say, well, you can't do that, that would even further betray the secrets which we trust our government and our our boys over at the the secret society of the CIA and the FBI to protect and the the FISA courts we have to protect that and releasing the full full documents would would just be a, a, an assault on a America treasonous assault then we know that they're wrong we know that they're lying we know that they're trying to protect what is clearly a red-handed type of deal where it's just showcasing the abuse and intentional bias that's inherent within the system at the moment. Whether that is pro-Democrats or it's just anti-establishment, as we said, Trump is a anti-establishment guy, that's to be determined. But showcasing how this was handled, how the FISA court application was provided and pushed through, where it completely removes any sort of Democratic interference and was uh, intentionally to surveil a GOP contender, that much is very clear. So another thing that just came out today, by the way, Carter Page, the guy that this this warrant was initially for that enabled all of this to happen, there's an interesting little uh, couple of documents that are out there. Because the FISA document identifies Carter Page as having met with Russians and uh, allegedly giving them uh, a binder about some sort of, uh, you know, he had run a a company that did electrical engineering, uh, or I'm sorry, en- I'm sorry, not electrical engineering, that did energy generation consulting or something like that. And he had supposedly met with Russians and given them a binder that had some information in it that people considered, oh, that could be sensitive information. So that's what the, the FISA document says. Then you have a report that has an FBI saying that there was a man that was working for them And Carter Page also supposedly was an FBI uh, informant kind of working for them as a go-between 
at the behest of the FBI, but a man who, without saying a name, worked for an energy company that the FBI, working in conjunction with, had met Russian agents. They put microphones in binders and then had him provide those binders to these Russian agents of the government. And of course, the intent was to audio tape what they're doing, to find out what they know, to find out what they were doing. Certainly seems like the same person to me. So (laughs) if that is true, then the government hired Carter Page to go meet with Russian agents and then through a roundabout way decided that they were going to try to surveil him on what they already knew was something that they internally had set up. Isn't that a cute little round around? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this. And it also is something that I can see being completely plausible and, uh, and being willfully done again, without telling the FISA court necessarily that he already worked for the FBI. Cause clearly they only tell the FISA court what they need to know. And the FISA court doesn't give a shit to dig any deeper or find any other facts out. They just rubber stamp these things. So that's pretty much the latest on the memo. That's my my brief take on it. And uh, I want to talk about a couple more things before I wrap this episode up. Um, oh, you know what? Sorry. A couple more thoughts of the State of the Union that just I just remembered real quick. Number one, right to try experimental treatments for terminally ill patients was in his State of the Union address. That was awesome. Number two, not a single mention of climate change makes me so happy. I'm sick of hearing about it. Fantastic. Didn't hear that. And also, the Democrats didn't mention it in their rebuttal, which people were pissed off about on the progressive side. I think it's hilarious. Third thing I want to talk about, they did not mention anything about education or giving everybody community college, which is one of the stupidest things that Obama mentioned every goddamn time. And Hillary Clinton did all the time. We got to get more people in college. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. At this point, I'd argue that unless you're going for a very specific degree that you have to get a higher education for, people should be avoiding college. If you're just going to spend $80,000 and getting deep in student debt to get a degree in art history or to get a degree in poetry or to get a generic English degree as I did, don't do it. Go into the job market, develop skills, go to a technical school, teach yourself a skill, and then get a job. To say that all the Americans have to go is just adding to the debt rolls. It is disingenuous because there's tons of people sitting at home right now without jobs. And adding jobs in the manufacturing sector isn't going to appeal to people that have a collegiate degree. So while we're trying to build up America's manufacturing core by these tax cuts and via crony capitalism, <laughs> we've got people that are going to college in droves and they're getting degrees that are completely worthless. And by adding roles of college, you know, community college like they're doing in New York City, which is just completely retarded for free. You know how many people drop out in the first semester? It's like an incredibly high rate community college. And all these people are going to sign up to go to it. All these kids that don't go to, don't like college, don't want to go, are going to be forced into doing it by their parents, or they're going to opt to go, and it's going to cost millions and trillions of dollars to do. And we're going to get no tangible result from it other than more people with college degrees that are out of work and more money wasted on college education for one semester. When people are able to say, you know what? I hate college. I hate education. I'm just going to go work at a gas station or something. All right. Sorry. Had to divulge there. Okay. Back to a couple more things. Venezuela. Completely fucked. 
I mean, completely fucked. Maduro can't even pay his cops. He can't even pay his military. I contend that, or sorry, I'm saying pay. Forget about the pay because the, the money there is worthless anyway. Since they had some 8,000% inflation because he completely devalued the currency. God, what I, I talk about, you look at socialism and you look at everything they do. This country, this was a rich country. They nationalize all of their oil. They nationalize all of the oil pack, uh, factories there. And then they don't have anything to repay them because all the people that were working there from other nations were like, all right, well, that's great. See you later. Now they have nobody to work them. They've fallen into complete disrepair. That's why the oil production's tanked and they have no money coming in from it. They nationalize all these bakeries, you know, because people couldn't get bread and they arrested the, the bakers. So now you either get no bread or you get terrible bread. They have no toilet paper there. Anyway, this is all being held together by the military and the police because anybody that's dissenting the arrest or they uh, disappear them or they murder them and a pretend drug raid kind of Philippine style, they take them out. So now if he can't feed his cops and feed his military, which is the situation, what's going to happen? You've already got police officers that are (laughs) changing favors for food when they can. Now you've got military members that are getting less than three meals a day. All of your power in that country, all the power that went to putting down violent uprisings in Venezuela, all that power put towards murdering Venezuelans, which are rioting to try to get different leadership so they can get food and wipe their asses, that military is going to turn on him. And if he doesn't do something very quickly, I consider a military coup in that country, I would say in the next six months. So let's see if I'm right. I've been good at gambling. Things are going well. If I can find a uh, a good website to take that bet, I will bet that Maduro is ousted by a military coup very soon. That's not always a good thing. As you saw in Egypt, people uh, people say, oh, great, get out that evil dictator. Now, granted, progressives and socialists fucking love Maduro, just like they loved his uh, predecessor, Bernie Sanders is of the world. But the people that take over might be even worse. In that case of Venezuela, though, it's hard to imagine a way in which that could possibly be true. All right. And then the last thing I want to talk about very briefly as well, because I got to wrap this up, and I already did a a special podcast for our pride group talking about it, is this whole flap with the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus, or Mises Caucus. So the Mises Caucus reached out to the Libertarian National uh, Convention organizer, said, hey, we want to pay Ron Paul. We want to pay Judge Napolitano to come speak at the convention. What do you think? We'll foot the bill. They summarily were told, go kick rocks. And the organizer sent back this shitty article where Ron Paul had criticized the Libertarian Party for putting forth jackasses like Gary Johnson and Bill Weld to GOP members who were running for now Libertarian president and vice president. Bill Weld, of course, famously <laughs> endorsed Hillary Clinton during the campaign during, while they're still in the race endorses Hillary Clinton and the Libertarian Party's uh, this is what their their spin is and, and again this is so funny it's so funny because they have the worst PR ever and they only make things worse rather than better any response from Sawark or any or Arvind Vorha they'd make everything worse now Vorha actually came out and said I would welcome Dr. Paul you know I, I don't know why this is happening but Sawark has attacked Ron Paul He's attacked Rand Paul. He's attacked Tom Woods. He's attacked the Mises Caucus. He's attacked the uh, he's attacked Mises overall, saying it's a den of Nazi thought. Just being, I, I mean, I just, I don't know what's wrong with the guy. He's he's completely mad. He's completely social justice warrior. So the story comes out that the Libertarian National Convention said, "No, we don't want Ron Paul. We don't think he represents what the Libertarian Party stands for anymore." 
And this is after the Mises caucus had, had offered to pay for him. Ron Paul, the guy who's driven hundreds of thousands, if not more, to the libertarian cause. <laughs> the reason I'm here talking to you right now about libertarianism is Ron Paul. But no, he doesn't know what libertarian is. And maybe he doesn't know what, maybe the libertarian party under Sawark and Bora, and the social justice warrior horse shit and left-leaning libertarianism, maybe it's not what, Rand, or what Ron Paul stands for anymore, but it goddamn should be. So they reject it. Mises Caucus tells Liberty Hangout. They also post on their own website saying, here's what happened. Here are screenshots to prove it from a uh, messenger conversation on Facebook. The Libertarian Party comes out and says, oh, no, we didn't. No, 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 that's not true. They just didn't have the money. Bullshit. It's not true. Mises Caucus has very wealthy backers. They said, we will pay for this. Then you have another woman posted on uh, on her, her page. She's on the Libertarian Committee saying, well, I wouldn't want him anyway. I told him I don't want Rand Paul there, Ron Paul, because I don't want any GOP taking the stage. Nobody from the Republican that stands for the Republican Party or that was associated with it. It's like, okay, well, you know, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld were GOP, right? And you put them out there. <laughs> and it just, get, it just gets funnier and funnier watching this devolve. And, you know, we had uh, taken some umbrage with what happened and uh, gotten a little Twitter spat with Nick Sarwark, which I'm sure you can look back in our Twitter feed and see it happening. But he then, uh, Sir Wark takes a low blow and tries to say that we were uh, getting in, in cahoots with an alt-right website uh, of Liberty Hangout. And again, you know, I don't, I don't really read Liberty Hangout that often. I know people have mixed feelings on it, but it certainly is not an alt-right website. And to try to mix us in, you know, it's basically just him slandering lines of liberty and trying to say that we're supporting the alt-right by this website was just so sad and so pathetic and such a page out of the social justice warrior handbook of instead of actually explaining, instead of uh, considering what you're saying that you may be in the wrong or anyone else's point of view. No, no, no. Let's just throw slander at people. Let's try to make somebody out to be something that they're not in order to not win an argument, not have a discussion, but simply to try to make them look bad to other people. And that's what the Libertarian Party has become. So, shame, shame, Libertarian Party. The shame, shame, Nick Sarwark. And uh, I think I'll leave it at that for this episode, guys. So, I want to remind everybody here to please follow us on social media at Lions of Liberty. You can follow me at, at Brian McWilliams. Join our Facebook group. We have a Facebook uh, page you can follow. We also have our Lions of Liberty forum where you can comment, interact with us and all of our other, I think we have something like I don't know, a couple thousand members on there now. So a lot of good discussion on there, guys. Been told many times it is the best uh, best libertarian forum on the internet because there is actual discussion on there. Uh, we don't just sling mud. Don't permit that kind of thing. And it's uh, it's deep conversation about what libertarianism and the different topics of the day. So I encourage anybody to come join our Facebook forum group. Just type in Lions of Liberty Forum and Facebook. It'll pop right up. If you don't look too crazy, then we will let you in. Just mention that you heard about it on the podcast or wherever you heard about it from. Also, because talking about our pride, you could definitely check out the pride if you want to support the show. We are uh, making a real push to get to a certain threshold just going to allow us to do some more events and stuff like that. But we push out a lot of great content that's bonus that you're not going to hear in the regular podcast on there. Of course, we also have our T-shirts, lionsofliberty.com forward slash store. If you want to support the podcast, lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. All right, that's enough rambling, I think, in endorsements, right? Right. All right, guys, for me, Brian McWilliams here at Lions of Liberty from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.